0: And at the end, I had gotten to the point to where it was either I was going to lay down and die, or I was going to do something different. And I didn't want to die, but I didn't know what different was.
1: Welcome to Unlocking College Life, real talk about all things college. The best part of this podcast is that your voice is part of the show. Other students care what you have to say. So through your questions, your feedback, and your real talk, we all grow together. Let's dive in with your hosts, Joy and Alona. Welcome back to Unlocking College Life. We are joined today by Todd Perry, who is an undergrad at UNCG and is going to tell us a little bit about his college journey, which I think has had lots of loops and twirls. And so I will let Todd introduce himself.
0: All right, I'm Todd. I grew up in a traditional family. I was into sports. I never drank. I never smoked. Never did any drugs, I was all about football, and I made it all the way through high school like that. And when I didn't get the opportunity to go to college, because I really didn't have the support that I feel like I needed, so I didn't, didn't know how to go about it, I kind of felt like I lost my way. And it wasn't six or eight months after getting out of high school that I started drinking. And that led me down a long, dark road probably 18 years of on and off drug use and alcohol use. And I was stuck in this cycle that I couldn't break free from. I thought this was just the way I was going to live forever. I didn't know there was any other way to live. And at the end, I had gotten to the point to where it was either I was going to lay down and die or I was going to do something different. And I didn't want to die, but I didn't know what different was. And I had truly an angel, someone that said, I believe in you, I see something in you. Because the life I was living, there wasn't a whole lot of compassion from people. People really didn't want to be around me. And so I asked for help. Finally, I surrendered. I said, what can I do to change this situation? And luckily, they knew how to help me. They referred me to a treatment facility. I stayed there 14 months. They supported me. I got out of the community that I was living in. And away from those old friends and when i started the journey and decided early on that i wanted to go back to school and i wanted to help other people i didn't know what that looked like it changed probably 20 times over the course of six or eight months
1: really important to highlight a part where you said you didn't drink or use drugs in high school at all And there is something about the college environment for folks who may have, whether it's family history or addictive tendencies, that it exacerbates that. So I actually am wondering, to what extent were you aware? Do you have family history? What happened or what could have helped even as that unfolded? Because you probably weren't even aware. Like, what is happening to me?
0: I have a family history of drug and alcohol abuse on my father's side. And mother and father, they party a lot. Like I grew up in a hostile environment. And the only way I could get away from that was to go to my grandparents' house. All of our family lived in close proximity to one another. And it was a lot of mental and physical abuse growing up. A lot of nights I was terrified. My grandparents would come and get us to get us away from that. And that was where we found some peace and My parents ended up splitting up when I was in high school. And so I moved in with my grandparents and it seemed like I rebelled a lot during that time period. I was also on some ADHD medication from five years old because I could not sit still. There was a time when I was strapped to the desk because I could not sit still. We had a fire drill and I couldn't get out of the building. I was stuck in the building.
2: What do you mean? Someone literally tied you down to a desk?
0: Yeah, they had a strap that they tied around me so I would stay in my seat. This
2: is a teacher?
0: Yes. And I didn't tell my parents because I thought I was going to get in trouble. And so a couple years later, when I said something about it, my mother went to the school and this teacher was still doing this to other students.
2: This is horrific, particularly overall, but certainly when you then put it in context of I couldn't get out for a fire drill. What is this?
0: It was hard for me really to focus enough to really, really get an education, honestly. So I didn't do very well up until really high school. I started doing better in high school, but not to the extent of being an A student or anything like that, because I still had behavioral issues. And I found that when I was involved in sports, that's where I felt like I belonged, that's when I was the happiest. And my senior year, there was an incident that me and some other wrestling teammates locked a guy in a locker. He actually put himself in a locker and we locked him in a locker and it was a big ordeal. (laughs) So they suspended me for three days and they said that I couldn't do any more sports. And I think, honestly, that was really the turning point because I was heartbroken. I cried about that. And and that's really why the coaches in the school stopped putting my name out there because I could have went to college on a football scholarship. And I felt like everyone turned on me because of that because I felt like it made the school look bad and the community as well. And I really didn't have the support that I needed to go to school and quit taking my ADHD medication around that time. And I think that really affected me. No one helped me get through that time period. I felt like I was on my own. I was alone, like I was trying to figure out. I mean, I was a 18 year old kid trying to figure out what I needed to do in life and I was clueless.
1: Well, and the irony on some level that they took away the one thing that was your anchor of stability, almost. You know, it's like it's so obviously folks must have known sort of the hardships of your life. And the consequence was to take away this thing where you said you felt the most like yourself. Well, you talked about your angel that you started to finally, I don't know, believe in yourself again. or feel like you weren't just... Stuck. go ahead on
0: well i had this time period around i just clarity it seems like around 2012 and and i was like i want to go back to school but because of my past i felt like all i could do was maybe be a welder or something because i put myself in this box in my own mind so i had these limitations no one will accept me but in the welding community it would be just fine And so I went to school. I got an applied science degree, welding technology. I started a mobile welding business. I did great. And I got married at the time. After a couple years, my wife started using. That really disrupted my life. And at one point, I felt like I wanted to save her. And I could have really just loved her so much, I just wanted to be near her. And I knew that it was a mistake to be around the alcohol and drugs but I did it anyway and it sucked me out there really quick. I remember the first week I was reaching out to people like telling them what was going on, but I was reaching out to people that were doing the same thing as I was. I wanted somebody to tell me, you need to stop. This is going to get you, right? I literally lost everything I had, the house, the dogs, the vehicles, the business, everything in about three months and I had nowhere to go. I got a DWI and you know, so I was in and out of court I got drug charges and I was lost. Like I was couch surfing until at the end, it was literally nowhere to go. I remember a couple of times I slept in the woods. My mom found out later that I slept in the woods behind her house and she was like, why didn't you tell me? Because the shame and the guilt that I felt, I stayed away from everyone that loved me because I didn't want them to see me that way. And I even went to her house while she was at work to take well, I'll say a shower, but I used her water hose in the cold because that was the only way I could do it. And I ended up running around out in the cold and things and I had an abscess in my tonsil. I could not turn my neck, I couldn't swallow anything. And at this time I was at my aunt's house staying in the building thinking nobody knew, but she knew it and she called my mother And she had my mother come down there and she was like, what's going on with you? She ended up taking me to the hospital. She wanted to tell them that I needed help. Well, I was so embarrassed and ashamed that I got angry at her because I don't need help. And she ended up leaving. I pushed everyone away. And I went to a different hospital to get this procedure done. And when it was time to be discharged, I called my mom because I had no one else to call. And I was like, I'm ready. Do you want to come get me? And she was like, no. I'm not coming to get you. And so it was pouring down rain in the wintertime. And I'm thinking that I'm in this town that's like 30 miles away. And I'm gonna be out there living homeless in the cold and rain. And I begged her and she was like, You can do that or you can go to treatment. And I was like, Yeah, I'll go to treatment. I felt like that was the only option I had. So she let me stay at her house a couple days, got into treatment. And I was there three weeks, but I remember they would go to 12-step meetings and I would hide in the closet because I didn't want to go to 12-step meetings. So when they did room checks, they thought I was at the meeting because when I went to the meetings, I heard them talking about me. They were talking about my disease and I wasn't ready to look at that. And so I ended up leaving there and I went back out. I cast a life insurance policy that I had from the time I was born. I used that money. Spent all that in about three days. And then I was out there homeless again for about 45 more days. And at the end, told you about my legal troubles with the DWI and stuff like that. And so actually, it was a court-appointed attorney that told me he seen something in me. And I was just taken back by that. No one's ever tried to help me in that way. And so actually, his son went to the same treatment facility as the one he referred me to. And again, I felt like I didn't have any other option, but I was at the end of the road. Like, I cannot do this anymore. This is not living. This is existing. It was torture. And so I had this clarity, again, spiritual experience. I could look down on myself and actually see myself for what I had become. And I didn't like what I was seeing. So like I said, it was either lay down and die or do something different. And I allowed him to help me. And so I ended up going to treatment. And as soon as I pulled up, guys came out and helped me take my things in my house, like the love and the compassion that I felt was different. Right. I knew I was somewhere different and it took me a long time to adjust to that because I wasn't used to that. And I thought all I needed was some help to get back on my feet. If I could just get my stuff back, if I could make money, i would be happy. But what I got was so much greater than that. Like after about six months, I had some peace. I had some joy. I even started laughing. All that was different. It took a while to adjust, especially the peace part, because I wasn't used to that. And I just rolled with it. I took every opportunity that I could get. Heavily involved in 12-step meetings. I have a sponsor. I sponsor other people. I do a lot of volunteer work. I had opportunities to go speak, tell my story. That has done wonders in my life. And that's why I really figured out that being of service and helping other people, that's where I was the happiest, right? Because the disease of addiction is real self-centered. It's all about me, what I want, nobody else matters, real selfish. And by helping others, I felt like I was part of something again. Like I told you before, when I was in sports, I felt like I was a part of that. And so when I found this opportunity to help other people, I felt like I had belonged. I still hang out with a bunch of alcoholics and addicts, but the difference is they're not using their recovery. And that's amazing. I can talk to these folks about what's going on in my head and they'll nod because they understand. And so that connection is what I needed because I was so isolated and alone and so hopeless. I just wanted to give up.
1: It's like a different type of team. But so, yeah, I mean, I just think you talked so much about the power of shame and you talked in the beginning about how when you first were using you got it sounded like you were getting a lot of judgment and stigma and not a lot of help and that the recovery community sort of turned that on its end and was all about love support bringing people i am wondering cuz at that time i'm sure the last thing on your mind was i'm going to go to college walk us through how that became a reality
0: actually attorney that i was telling you about that helped me get into treatment he told me that his son was going to school To be a peer support specialist and told me what that was about and intrigued me right and so when i got there that's what i wanted to do that's what i decided i wanted to do help other people and i found out you have to have two years in recovery to do that and i'm like "Eh, i'm not there yet so i can't do that right now so i started looking into some different ways that i could potentially do the same thing out in the community And so I landed on social work because it's so broad that you could do so many things with it. And I knew I wanted to work in the substance abuse field. And so, like I said, I was going to the community college level and there was this liaison between UNCG and the community college that I was attending. And I was looking at different colleges and I was terrified to tell them about my past. I knew I had to because when I applied, they're going to find out. And when I told her, She did not judge me at all. She was like, oh, you'll be an asset to Spartan Recovery Program. And I'm thinking, an asset? How can my past be an asset? And so I did some research on it and I bought right in. I was like, I am going to this college. This college wants me there. At that point, it was a done deal. And I applied and I went through that process and they accepted me there. And once I got into the Spartan Recovery Program, I found my people at college right just like me and that is really encouraging because you feel like that you're going to be in school and you're not going to fit in nobody's going to understand you these people do they support one another the stress of college there's a lot of mental health stuff going on with students and the substance abuse stuff and there's support there no matter what we're going through we can share with one another and the way it works is we go through things in recovery and we don't drink or drug and then so when someone else is going through the same thing we can say here grab my hand i will help you through this i'm going to show you how i got through this without using and you can do the same thing and that's the way it is with the whole recovery community because we love Helping, and it's really been an awesome journey. The things that have happened in my life, I never could have imagined. If I would have written down where I would be at three years into this process, I would have been shortchanging myself by a thousand miles. So, yeah, college experience has been wonderful. I had opportunities to go represent the college in the sport and recovery program to show them that it works. I think that. Collegiate recovery is vital on college campuses because there are so many students that do have issues with drinking and drugging. And like I was telling you before, when I got out of high school, I didn't feel like I had that support. So I don't think I could make it through college without the support of those students in Spartan Recovery.
2: Well, and I think that recovery here is so important on so many levels. Obviously, it's keeping you sober, but also the two factors that we know make, for example, 12 steps work are the fellowship. So the acceptance, the unconditional acceptance of folks who also have been there, which is really in such contrast to the shame and trauma you grew up in. And then also, as you already said, the volunteering piece sort of helping other people giving back. I mean, those are really the two key factors that make 12 steps in recovery work so well. So I'd love to hear more on I mean, and maybe it's the unconditional positive regard and acceptance to help you heal this shame. I'm curious even about sort of the ADD component now hopefully properly medicated.
0: In recovery, I decided, because it takes a while for your brain to kind of adjust. After you remove the substances, you're all over the place. And so after I had a year, sought some mental health help. And the psychiatrist, you're able to see what actually does work And you're able to utilize those tools and apply those to your life. And then it becomes a lot easier, honestly, to live life and realize that you can live life without drugs and alcohol. My ADHD has always been a problem. And so I went and seen a specialist about that. And I got some tests and I was off the charts. (laughs) I mean, I was off the charts. But it was a problem, not only with school. It was a problem with work. It was a problem in personal relationships, I'm going to get some help. And so when I talk to people about being on medication, like a oh, raise, you can't do that. Yes, I can. If I talk to my doctor and they know I'm in recovery and I'm taking the medication as prescribed and it's improving my life, it's perfectly okay.
1: Can you loop back around? So I know you're part of this mentor program. So you've told a lot of stories today about you being on the other side of mentoring or on the other side of being helped or saved and now you really see yourself as that mentor so can you talk a little bit more about what that
0: looks like it's the same thing like you have people come in and they are struggling they have no idea how to live and and you show them the way and they have trouble with i've seen many of them almost flunk out i mean they don't know how they're going to make it and they're scared and so when they come in, they're kind of broken the way I was. And we're able to show those people that it can be done. I think often no one's better than anyone else. We're on the same playing field. We only have today.
2: What you just reminded me of is an important piece of recovery, but really even life in general is when things are really tough, break it down one day at a time. And so small goals, one day at a time, sometimes even one hour at the time. I think that we can become overwhelmed. If someone told you, hey, you're going to have to be drug or alcohol free forever, that probably would have been, I don't know how to do that. But if you ask, can you stay sober for an hour? Or even if it's academic concerns, I mean, it may seem so overwhelming. I don't know how I will do this whole semester, but let's just break it down. And what is the first step or one thing that you can do today? Or can you get through this one class rather than sort of getting caught in this overwhelming anxiety of what the whole semester or life will look like and then really staying paralyzed in the avoidance loop?
0: And I think the fear of, looking at it as a whole, looking at everything that I have to do, the papers, the tests.
1: I also just knowing that there's students listening out there, we talk a lot in the collegiate recovery community here, just sort of knowing that there's actually so many students that aren't connected that need to be. What do they need to hear that even the students might be, I don't know if I need that, but their gut probably is actually, I probably do. What would you say to those students?
0: I think if you're feeling that on the inside, then you probably need to reach out for help. I think you don't end up walking into a meeting on accident. You don't end up walking into a collegiate program on accident. I think if you're having consequences, if your grades are suffering, if your relationships are suffering, you're having problems with family, it may be time to reach out. And I think a lot of students are scared. They don't want to reach out. And then there's so many that, that have no clue that there's help. And that's really what I want to drive home is is there are people that care. You are not the only one that feels that way, even though we often do feel like no one else understands. There are people that will help you through the process. You just have to reach out and ask for it and let people direct you to the sources that you are gonna utilize. And then from there, just allow the process to work. I think there's three things that you must have in recovery honesty, open-mindedness, and willingness. If I'm honest with myself and realize that I have a problem, I need some help, that's number one. And then I'm open to what others have to say, right? The ones that have the information. And then I'm willing to do it. Living a solution. This is what I need to do. I'm going to take action to make this happen.
2: As a follow-up to that, and Joy will know a lot more about this because she's part of a department, the Wolverine Wellness here at Michigan, Even if you haven't hit a rock bottom and even if your academics are not completely down the drain, but you are already struggling in some of the areas of your life where you're kind of white knuckling it, it's kind of chaos, you're still managing, but you you kind of know this is probably not the most effective or productive way to be. I appreciate you highlighting being open. And so go chat with someone and see what you can unpack. So you don't have to hit a rock bottom to seek help either. And in fact, I mean, we sometimes say you hit a rock bottom when you stop digging. And when you get off the elevator, you get to decide at what point you get off the elevator. And chatting with a professional, maybe you'll decide, yeah, I actually don't have a problem. I'm not addicted but there are some things I could do differently. And we do have folks on this campus to actually talk to you about either stage of this. hundred percent. And I would say maybe walking into the
1: recovery program isn't where you're at, but there are so many folks, whether it's in the counseling and psychological services or in the wellness center or wherever you are on your campus, who you can have that first conversation with. And then a reminder that those professionals are all connected and they'll get you to where you need to go. We're coming up on the end of our time today, Todd. This has been such a great conversation. Just wondering if there's other thoughts you want to leave students with today.
0: Yeah, I think it's important to reach out because when I was in that place, I didn't know what to do. So I couldn't do it myself. I had to reach out to other people and I think it's vital. And they'll help you through it, whether you need to work through some depression, relationship issues, or you actually do need help with addiction. And I've seen so many young folks 18, 19 years old that are ready to get help. And that is so encouraging to me because that's around the time that I got started. You don't have to live 18, 19, 20 years because it's only gonna get worse. And so it continued to get worse. And I'm a believer that you don't have to hit a rock bottom. You just have to decide that this is not what I wanna do. You don't have to continue to go down that road. I was never told that you're gonna be an addict And you're going to have years of pain and misery. So I think it's so important that y'all are highlighting this and giving people an opportunity to hear this. And maybe they can decide that they don't want to go down that road.
2: That's a great note to end on. Thank you so much for joining us today. It's been such a pleasure.
0: Thank you for having me.
2: Thanks, everyone. We'll talk to you next time.
0: Take
1: care. Thanks for listening. Please rate and review us on your favorite pod platform. Share with your friends if this is making you think about and participate in college differently. We want to hear from you. Connect with us on Instagram and let us know how it's going. This podcast is not professional advice or replacement for therapy. If you need professional advice, You should find it with professionals in your area, such as your primary care physician or therapist.